Deep in the imagination, there's a crossroads, a space where curiosity and inspiration intersect and give birth to ideas. A space where music, science fiction, comic books, and pop culture inform the mind of what is and what could be. This is Jeff Boucher's Mind Space. In each episode, legendary journalist Jeff Boucher welcomes the biggest names in genre entertainment for an expansive dive into all things pop culture. Journey with Jeff as he explores the latest news and recommendations of the hottest releases across entertainment with his most trusted confidants. You are now entering deep space. Heavy Metal presents Jeff Boucher's Mind Space. Hey, Mind Spacers, this is Jeff Boucher. Welcome to the show. Uh, it's September 11th, and today, as you might notice, this is a special episode, a bonus edition. And it's a conversation that uh, Evan and I had with Grammy and Peabody winner Suzanne Vega. You might know Suzanne's work, of course. She did Luca. She did Tom's Diner. Uh, she's got a great folk sound and has been a mainstay on the music scene for decades now. She's got a new album out. It's called An Evening of New York Songs and Stories. It's uh, in stores today, and it was recorded live at the Cafe Carlisle in New York, the famous venue. Uh, it was done over a series of nights, but this interview was done over a single call, and we hope you enjoy it. You know, the subject of New York is always a, a, a tremendous one, and uh, it's interesting. Uh, the, this release will be on September 11th, which obviously is a, a date with a lot of uh, aspects to it for New Yorkers, and it comes after the crisis of or amid the crisis of the pandemic. Um, yeah. For you, talk, maybe talk a little bit about uh, your sense of New York these days and, and this time uh, that we live in right now. It's uh, just such a strange and off-putting time. Sure. Um, New York right now is actually doing so much better than it was in April. Um, in April, it was a very frightening time. The lockdown came in March and then suddenly Three weeks later, we were having the apex of this of this pandemic. It happened very quickly. It seemed to really catch fire. And so in April, it was very scary. Everyone really was just staying home and having everything delivered. And no one was walking the streets at all. So it's very different now because even though it's not fully operational, you can go out, you can have coffee with someone, you can go to an outdoor restaurant and, and have dinner, which I do with my husband. So it's the feeling of caution because everyone keeps saying that it's very likely that we'll get a second wave in the fall. But uh, on the other hand, there's a little relief because we are at least able to go out and have a meal and see a friend, you know, yeah. maybe, maybe two friends. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, the uh, recording that you did uh, at Cafe Carlisle, can you tell me a little bit about that night? Well, the recording, uh, we did it last year. We did this back in, uh, gosh, March, I think, of 2019. So when you play the Cafe Carlisle, you don't just do a night there. It's a really special venue. You do two weeks, like a two-week run of a show. Uh, and they make a di big deal out of the opening night that they invite all the press and everything kind of hangs on that opening night. It's really like a like an off, off, off Broadway show. 
So this time when I played the Cafe Carlisle, I thought, let's make it like a real show. Let's have a theme to it. Let's make it, this is a show about New York City and, uh, and, and all the songs that I have that relate to it in one way or another. So it actually happened over two weeks and we picked three nights to record. Once we saw how well it was going, we thought that the second week we were there, we were like, oh, let's do Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday of the following week because this is great. The audience loves it and we were having packed houses and um, the Cafe Carlisle is a, uh, is a hotel as well as a club. So the elevator guys told us that everyone was talking about the show in the elevator. So I thought, wow, great, let's, let's record it. Oh, that's great. Yeah, um, you know, and I, I haven't been to that venue, but I, I, I know that uh, it's got a lot of history to it as well. Just being in that venue must have been, uh, must be kind of a fun experience. Oh, it's thrilling. Uh, it's an old Art Deco building. So I'm pretty sure it was built in the 30s. And it has this glittering past where I guess uh, the, the rumor has it that JFK met Marilyn Monroe for secret trysts there. Um, and there's all kinds of other uh, uh, other things. I think while we were there, uh, Scarlett Johansson came to the show and just stuff like that. Um, it's kind of a an Upper East Side um, treasure. Yeah. Very yeah. expensive, but on the other hand, it's also very kind of bohemian. So uh, it's this really odd, unique uh, collection of, of things. Sure. And you know, the, um, <clears throat> excuse me, the song selection is great. And I, I love uh, the Walk on the Wild, Wild Side cover. I know that uh, you and Lou uh, had history, uh, good friends, and uh, he's another treasured part of New York. Uh, it, it, even though he's not with us anymore, it's his music certainly is. Oh, yes. Uh, I mean, for so many years, he was kind of a a touchstone for uh, artists in New York, like myself. Um, in the early 80s, whenever he played in New York, I would go see him play, usually at the Ritz. Uh, and of course, he chronicled everything that was going on in the 70s. Uh, and I guess in the 60s also, he was a guide who was not afraid to just put it right out there. Oh, yeah, 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 well said. Uh, and and became this sort of almost, uh, well, such a figure of integrity uh, as well, just the way that he did things. With with that song in particular, it, it, it's such a, uh, his performance of it, or his, uh, just his phrasing on that was so distinctive. Does that make it especially hard to interpret a song, uh, having a original that is uh, so very specific? Uh, maybe for someone else it might be, but I saw him so often. Mm -hmm. um, and I saw him, I just saw him whenever I could see him. So I knew his way of performing and it influenced my own way of performing. I mean, when I, I saw him when I was 19, back in 1979. So that gave me the freedom to do certain songs like Cracking or Neighborhood Girls or things where I, I could speak, speak sing myself. Sure. Uh, so I found actually that it was easier than I would have expected when I started to do the cover. Oh, we did the cover, we did the cover after he passed away. Um, I was asked to do a few of the memorials and uh, Jerry Leonard and I would go to the musical director and say, oh, what's left? You know, who, 
what song do you have that no one else is doing? And it was always Walk on the Wild Side. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, <laughs> no one else would touch it. So I thought, okay, well, I guess that's a sign from Lou that it's meant for me. And that's what I did. I went after it. Oh, well, that's great. That's, that's, a, that's kind of adds even more to it. That's, that's really fun. For you, you know, uh, just as an artist, every uh, chapter of your life, uh, there's a new opportunity and there's a new challenge. And this is kind of a broader question, but like right now, what would you say was, is, you know, your biggest challenge or your biggest opportunity as an artist? Right now in this moment of the pandemic? Yeah, yeah. And yeah. it could be, you know, maybe something with your craft or maybe something just with your uh, the, the logistics of a career or... Well, right now, I think it's important to keep uh, keep up my stamina and my energy. It, interestingly, it's it's been harder to do that at home than it is on tour. Uh, I had a bunch of, of shows lined up. And once you're on tour, you kind of, um, you get into a rhythm. And uh, I, I, I always feel really good when I'm on, on tour. But now we're at home. So I'm trying to figure out this new world of, both keeping house <laughs> and also learning new technology, learning how to do live streams from my home. Uh, I did three of them over the summer. I did one on my birthday and I did a little benefit for the uh, health and hospitals um, organization in New York in, in June. So this is a whole new world to learn how to present myself on the phone uh, to 100,000 people that might be watching. That's a whole other, uh, I, I mean, that's something I never expected to do. So I make my mistakes, but I'm learning. And, um, you know, that, that's been the biggest, that's been the biggest challenge is, is keeping up with the technology and doing it the right way. So I don't get all these people writing and going, hey, your camera's backward. Right. Or just being a blank screen like I am. Like I did. I'm so, I'm so I'm just, I just beside myself. Like I'm just so sorry. Um, but I, I do appreciate you. Uh, you're a trooper. Thank you so much. Uh, so uh, that's really interesting. And, and one of the things too, I think I would think that I, uh, that, that might entail, I know it has for me is, is that I, I never feel like I'm fully at work, but I also never feel like I'm fully at rest. You know, like I, I, everything is always kind of uh a uh, half version of everything. That's exactly how I feel. I, I met a woman recently uh, in one of my few jaunts outside of my home. And she said, I, I actually like being on lockdown. I wake up and there's nothing to do. And I, I thought, wow, I, I wonder what that would feel like. Because uh, no matter, you know, I, I feel like I wake up and there's just a ton of things to do, whether it's keeping the house, trying to keep everything orderly and organized and clean and the laundry and you know all of that stuff that you take care of when you're at home but then there's also uh um the, the fact that i'm releasing an album right now so i'm doing interviews and i'm doing events and um but just doing them in a very different way than i would have normally yeah i found like uh in the days when i would uh, get dressed in a different way and get in the car drive to an office go into that office and then encounter people and start working everything was had so much more clarity uh, and uh, yes. and people respected boundaries so much more and uh, yeah. uh, everything seemed to have more value. Everything seems to be dismissed a little bit more now and everything seems kind of uh, watered down or hazy. <laughs> yeah. When I did my three little uh, 
what do you call them, live streams from my library at, at home. It was bizarre, you know, the only, usually there's a transition, you get to the venue and you kind of transition into it. And this is just like me by myself. And then I, I walk out of the little area where I've just performed and there's nobody else there. You know, but maybe my husband's in his office because he's just watched the show, but there's no one to hang out with. There's no one to have a beer with, you know, or have yeah. a drink with. And it's like crazy. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, it's a shame too, because if, if you think about what the country's kind of gone through this year, yeah, it, it this was, I remember after, you know, a few weeks of, uh, all the violence and stuff, uh, you know, I, it occurred to me, I really wanted to go and meet my neighbors because I still had some neighbors I hadn't met and I've lived in a place for five years now. And, but there's mm -hmm. people that aren't terribly far, far away that I don't know. And we yeah. had, a, we also had a thing in our neighborhood is a terrible thing that happened where a family of three was killed, like basically in our front yard, essentially by a, by a drunk driver. Uh, and it just, it was a nightmare. Uh, wow. And a, a, a young couple with their three-year-old and it was Halloween night and they were, you know, a uh, hundred yards from their front door and on a sidewalk, you know, just, just terrible when this uh, yeah. car hit them. But, um, and after that, I really wanted to meet all my neighbors. And, and then, uh, then uh, after the, the events uh, that you know sort of spilled out into the streets all over the country and everything and I, that became even more urgent and I realized but that's the one thing I can't do these days is go over and, and knock on somebody's door and shake their hand because of COVID. Uh, what, yeah. what a ter terrible kind of time to have the don't reach out to people moment in our medical history happen at the same time as all these ruptures in our civic you know sort of fab fabric you know. Yeah, it's really not a time like any other that I can remember. I mean, I, I remember the civil rights marches of the 60s because my parents were were activists and they were uh, very active in, in that world. So we would we would go on the marches with them in the demonstrations. But we I've never had this situation where you can't touch someone or be with them, you know, go out and have a coffee with them. Uh, this this distancing is kind of shocking, but on the other hand, you you realize you know these things happen. They've happened throughout time. They've happened throughout history. We've been very lucky that we didn't have worse ones uh, recently because they were contained. You know they were they were dealt with. We learned how to deal with them most of the time. So even though these things have happened throughout history and throughout time, we've been fortunate not to have them in our lifetimes. Um, so it's, uh, that's been very illuminating going back and reading, uh, you know, that they had social distancing back in 1918 and that, that there were masks and just like today, some people fought against it. You know, they didn't want to wear them. I saw some photos from, uh, uh, sporting, sporting events, uh, in that moment in time that you're talking about and everyone wearing masks. And, and I, I was kind of shocked by like how I had never been aware of that that ha yeah. um, kind of reached that level. I mean, I knew about the, the, the fact that the, they, they struggled with that outbreak, but I didn't realize that it reached that like kind of tipping point. With, um, with the sense of history, you know, that you're talking about, you know, with your, your parents and then also just all the, the proximity of you, you've had to uh, activism and, and New York uh, kind of engagement with politics. What do you see in this moment in time as far as people's stamina and energy and, and, and uh, mindset when it comes to, you know, 
do you, are people really discouraged? Do you feel in a, in a way that uh, you can recognize? No, I think it's real. There's really a spectrum mm-hmm. of uh, of emotions. Um, some people are afraid because maybe there'll be a second wave in the fall, uh, or maybe they've known someone who died. Uh, or there's some. There's a lot of people who are fleeing New York, and that's creating even more sense of separation. But other people are galvanized because of the Black Lives Matter movement. I mean. I think it's unprecedented what's going on now, this wave upon wave upon wave of marches. And, uh, you know, it's not just one march uh, to, to Washington, Washington DC. It's, um, it's a series of them mm-hmm. and it's, they're not letting up. Uh, and I think that's a, a different feeling in America right now. I think it's a, uh, and it's all over America and it's in small towns and it's in big ones and it's, and every time there's another incident, it's instantaneous. Everyone comes out. So I think it's in spite of the distraction of the looters and the kind of bad, the bad eggs of people who are destroying property, that's really not what it's all about. Right. What it's really about is the message of um, this is not tolerable. This isn't tolerable. Yeah. So this, uh, um, you know, this, this deeply rooted racism you know, yeah. I think there's a, a clear message coming out. This won't be tolerated anymore. Yeah, I think you're exactly right. And there, there seems to be an ownership now of the issue and, and the ownership of, it's not just enough to disagree with this. I need to be actively involved in making sure it doesn't happen. Yeah, uh, and it seems to be multi-generational, multi-racial, you know, all kinds of people. Um, involved. And even if you're not actively out there marching, say if you're an older person with underlying conditions, there's all these other ways that you can participate. Collaboration is so important to you and and, um, and artist community is so important to you and and, and so has been such a, a vivid part of your journey. How do you maintain that or try to um, fill that missing part of your, you know, sort of artistic life? Well, I'm on Facebook all the time, uh, you know, seeing who's doing what. And uh, and a, a lot of the old folkies that I used to hang out with uh, down at the at uh, in Folk City um, are still writing and they're writing great songs. They're writing about the uh, about the current situation. Christine Lavin, for example, I think is a great songwriter who's been writing uh, really some very interesting topical songs very quickly. Um, so earlier this year, I did a. I was part of the Greenwich Village Folk Festival. Uh, I headlined it. it the, that was my third virtual event from my library at home, <laughs> and uh, so I got to see a lot of the old crowd. And they had this little after party that they sort of kept broadcasting uh, with David Massingill and Rod McDonald and and quite a few people from that uh, that scene. So that was really um, a lot of fun. I had a. I felt a real it not really a sense of nostalgia because it was uh, because a lot of people were writing new songs about this current era, but uh, it was just a nice hang, even if it was virtual and not actually in in the flesh. I found that really really helpful. Yeah, that's interesting, and uh, I guess you just uh, go where you can and do what you can as far as uh, those opportunities, you know. But uh, it, it's still it's got to be a little bit of a struggle. But I guess just the focus on it is half the battle. Yeah, I mean, I'll take my sense of community where I can find it. 
so and I get some of that on 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 Facebook. You know, I see who's writing what. I you know when I have the time, I go on there and I see see uh, all my all my friends, real and virtual. Yeah, <laughs> and I great. you know hang out with them, <laughs> sort of so, thing. So when you were putting the um, the collection together, uh, how did that overlap with uh, the pandemic, beginning of the pandemic, and uh, were you was the album completely, you know, kind of locked in as far as it's everything done before that? Yes, uh, everything was done before that. In fact, it was done fairly quickly after the after the recording. Uh, after the recording, and I I started working with a new manager in October of last year. So this that was the first thing I gave him. I said, I I "Here, this is a done. This is this project is done. I just need to figure out how we're going to put it out." So he started working on it immediately. And it was going to come out in May, um, and we had all these dates lined up, and I, and they were oh the shows were going so well. They had big posters in the Paris Metro, uh, and I was so proud. And the whole the gig was sold out, and it was going to be great. Um, and instead, we had to postpone it to this fall, and now it's been postponed again to January of next year. And there, maybe it'll be postponed again because we just don't know what. Sure. What the state of the world is going to be. Uh, so the package itself was done. It's just a question now of like, when do, can we go back on the road? Um, but we're doing another live stream event um, soon. We'll probably do it in October to promote the album. Yeah, Dude, um, it, it's interesting to have it. It's almost like a signal that was sent, you know, from a different New York, you know, uh, by the time the album just uh, comes out on September 11th, just because of everything that's happened in New York. Um, yeah, I mean, a lot of people have been mentioning that and they say, how does it feel to have this live album at a moment in time when we can't have live music? Yeah. Um, so, yeah, and especially such an intimate venue like that. I mean, it's probably seats 70 people. Oh, wow. So that, um, it's that's super tiny, very intimate. And uh, I think it's all the more resonant because of that, um, yeah. as well as the fact that it's on 9-11 there's a song called Anniversary, which is about the anniversary of 9-11, and now it's coming out on the anniversary of 9-11. It's very odd. Symmetrical. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wow, that's really interesting. Uh, um, it, it, it seems almost more luxurious, the, 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 the size of the venue, but it makes it seem even more kind of wish fulfillment, like it, it, the show seems even nicer, like because you can't have it, <laughs> uh, in, a, in a sense. Yeah. You know? Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, sure. As far as like uh, New York is my destination, which is a great song and and and, and has a very different context uh, in a concert than in its original form. Has that is it that song? Does it come to you differently, or do you find different things in the performance of it in this sort of setting? Yes, that's a song that I definitely have a different sense of performance because I'm writing from the character of Carson McCullers. Mm -hmm. uh, a woman from the Deep South who came to New York City at a relatively young age, probably 23. Um, so I'm writing it from her perspective. And so I, I give it a bit of what I did when I performed the character in the yeah. play. Um, and it's great fun. It's really, really, um, it's really fun. It's, it's just like a little whirlwind through a different New York. This is a New York from the 40s and the 50s of the Algonquin and the Plaza Hotel and all the places that she really did hang out and all the places that were meaningful to her in her life uh, when she lived in New York City. 
yeah, it's it's fantastic, uh, and and it's such a, uh, a vivid time and portrait of a time. So it's uh, definitely worth checking out for our listeners who uh, should be able to get the music as soon as they hear this because we're going to have this out on September 11th. So I heartily endorse and uh, suggest that. For you, uh, Suzanne, was it? Do you do you find that a lot of your songs come back to you uh, now? and represent very, very different things than they did uh, when you recorded them or, you know, uh, wrote them? Um, or, or do they, are they sort of fixed in time more than that? I'd say no, they're not fixed in time, really. Uh, every time I sing a song, I have to reinvent it for myself. You know, it's a little bit like being, being an actress. You can't just sort of dredge up uh, your feelings from 1985. You've got to really recreate it. So if I sing... Marlena on the wall, uh, it's, it's got a different flavor to it now. And I perform it differently. Uh, back when I wrote it, I was a young girl wishing to be more sophisticated and more glamorous. And now that I'm older, I wear the top hat and I wear the false eyelashes. <laughs> and I, I sort of play at being her, uh, which I don't think I would have had the confidence back in the day yeah. um, to actually do that. Um, so that's one song that's kind of updated. Yeah. Uh, and of course, Tom's Diner is, it uh, started out this very kind of solitary acapella song. And now it's become this joyful party yeah. song at the end that everybody sings along and some people dance and sometimes they get up and dance and sometimes they all sing the chorus. Um, so it gives people good memories because they remember some party they were at, you know, back in the 90s. So it's a lot of fun. Yeah, and that's an amazing, uh, just that very unique path of that musical confection is kind of a lot of fun and people do get a lot of joy out of it. It must have been just interesting for you as it all played out, just a kind of a head scratcher at first maybe. You know, not really, because when Luca became a big hit, uh, oh. I got a lot of really weird versions of Luca. Oh, okay. Um, most of them kind of jokey, which I thought was really offensive. Um, yeah, it's, you know, so I just, <laughs> I was like, are you kidding death. me? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was like, what? Uh, many parodies. Uh, so I just ignored all of them. I was like, no, you can't release this. No, I don't really care about this. So when I heard Tom's Diner, I was worried that maybe this was another jokey version. And I oh realized that all, all they had really done was taken the lyrics and the melody and kind of put this cool groove to it which i really liked um and it, and they put this chorus to it which would never have occurred to me uh and they made it hugely accessible to yeah. a whole bunch of people that i would not have uh, thought it would have appealed to and mm -hmm. it's been fantastic i love yeah, it yeah the serendipity of it is really is really pretty cool um, yes. Although I'm now fixated on, on like what could possibly be a parody of Luca that somebody would think would be a good idea to send you. Like that's We're just, not going uh, there. That's just like <laughs> no, terrible. No, I'm not. Yeah, it was terrible. It was awful. It was like, please. Um, yeah, I, even once and maybe once a year, I get, I still get them. But yeah, oh, just, I'm so sorry. On behalf of humanity. On behalf of yeah, humanity. Thanks. We're very sorry about that. We're very sorry about that. That's I amazing accept, doing that. <laughs> accept your apology. <laughs> That's amazing. There's so many great songs about New York and, and the great performances of those songs through the years and stuff. And, and, I, and uh, just on September 11th, I was going to ask you if maybe there's a, a song or two that you, uh, 
you would listen to in addition to your own, like uh, maybe a song or a performance about New York that kind of resonates with you? Hmm. Maybe Frank Sinatra's New yeah. York, New York. What, yeah. what is that song? It starts fading the news. I mean, I suppose I that's the one I think of. Yeah, that's the big one that they play uh, at all the, the ball games and stuff as well. But there's another really sweet one that Ella Fitzgerald sings. Um, da, 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 April in New York? No. no uh, April, that's April in Paris. No, something, um, something in New York. Yeah, it's a song that Ella Fitzgerald sings off of the Rogers and Hart songbook. And it talks about the island, island of Manhattan. We'll go to Coney and eat bologna oh, cool. on a roll. And subway charms a soul. Da, da. So that's that's sort of I, I love that one. That's uh, of course I can't remember the name of it. Um, but whenever it comes on, it it brings me back to a moment in my teenage years when I fell in love with uh, with Ella Fitzgerald and that songbook. Sure. Um, and so that's it's just a, a great all round New York song that's probably not quite so widely known. Yeah, the Manhattan. Manhattan, yeah. fantastic. All right, so let's pick that song because I think that's just, it's a beautiful song that has all these different neighborhoods and um, it's great. Yeah, fantastic. I, I, uh, I actually don't know that song, so I'm looking forward to that. I will do that uh, along with everybody else. And yeah, there's so many great ones. You know, um, A Train always kind of uh, seems like the background sound in New York to me. Uh, sure. When I'm walking around, uh, on like certain spring days and things like that but it's uh it's the capital of the world and we uh we're out here in LA but we uh we definitely are glad to hear you guys are past uh the worst of it and hope that that is true we hope that, so yeah, yeah we that, hope that, so that I mean the numbers true. right now are still unbelievably great I mean I, I check that rate of transmission every day because I'm just kind of fixated on it sure and it's under one so I mean that means it's de it's still decreasing in yeah um in all of new york state so i'm very proud of new york for that uh it means though that as we go into the fall though we've got to keep up our guard well said and uh thank you so much for your patience today and your grace uh it, sure. it's much appreciated and uh it was very nice talking to you oh thank you it was lovely talking to you too all right take care thanks bye-bye that was our conversation with Suzanne Vega. Uh, we'll be back here at Mindspace next Tuesday. We hope you will be too. The guest that day is gonna be Liam Sharp. He's a great comic book artist. You know his work from The Brave and the Bold and Wonder Woman and his run with Green Lantern right now. Uh, really looking forward to that and really looking forward to seeing you back here at Mindspace. Thanks a lot. Thank you.